what if there was a moratorium on arguing about theology for a second? For like, let's just pause. Okay, I, I understand the arguments on the other side. I've been on the other side of those arguments. Cool. I'm probably not going to convince you. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm done trying. So let's just suspend that conversation. And instead, maybe we can find something that we all agree on, which isn't, isn't to say let's validate each other's theology, because we, in, in some ways, both sides of the, of the theological debate see the other side as perpetuating harm. But let's just suspend that too for a second and let's focus on clarity. Like what if what if both sides of the theological spectrum agreed that clarity was reasonable? Well, I think what would happen is we would root out a lot of this this ambiguity that exists in between the spectrum where uh, it really has nothing to do with conviction. Uh, in fact, a lot of a lot of the worst offenders uh, of, of ambiguity are these large hipster evangelical megachurch hillsongy type places that um don't stand for anything they, they don't it's not it's not even that like they've fleshed out their theology and they believe it so intensely that they're you know they just don't want to talk about it because it's resolved it's they don't even know why they don't believe it or what why their policies are what they are and so uh i don't think there's any i don't think there's any room for that frankly in, in, in the church world i want to go Hello there, my friends. Welcome back to the Can I Say This at Church podcast. A lot of good things happening today. A lot of good things happening today. I'm going to bypass the normal plea for patron support, et cetera, et cetera, because you know that you should have already done that. And instead, I'm going to make a pitch for something different. And so the guest today uh, is George Mikhail, and I hope that I said that right, George, and Sarah New. They are two of the people that are on the leadership team for the website churchclarity.org. Some of you listening will know what that is, but I think the majority of you may not. And so let me tell you what it is briefly before we get into the episode and why that matters. So a few years ago, they started a website and they've outgrown that. The website is dedicated to removing ambiguity on two central topics in the church. One is inclusiveness. They're not making a pitch for either case. And the other is women in ministry and women in leadership in the church. And they basically rate churches and they have outgrown the platform there. And so as opposed to making pitches for you to support this show, which hopefully you'll continue to do and or feel led to do today, I would highly recommend hit pause, go down to the show notes. I'm going to link it right at the very top. They have an Indiegogo campaign that expires, I believe, in the end of this week, at the end of November here. They need to be able to upgrade the website. There are a lot of churches in America. There's a lot of ambiguity in America, and there shouldn't be. So hit pause, click the button, go throw them a few bucks, see if we can help them upgrade what they're doing. And so hit pause, click the button, throw them a dollar or two, and uh, let's see what we can do to help remove some ambiguity. With that little PSA out of the way, I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation a bit about the mission and the heart and the message and kind of where they see things going Perfect. Unpause it. You're back. Here we go. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with both George and Sarah from Church Clarity. 
both of these topics, women in ministry and inclusivity, or at least a stance on it, are massively important. They are the topics of the future of the church. And if you don't believe me, just Google it and you will find people bickering. And they're bickering because nobody knows where they stand. And so here we go. A conversation about churches removing ambiguity and becoming clear. When the stars align, when the time is right, I will be with you. When the stars align, when the time is right, I will. Sarah knew George McHale. And I'm aware that there's two ways to say your name, and I had committed earlier to not butchering it, so I'm going to go with that version. Co-founders of the website Church Clarity, which is a website that, as I told people, you know, hey, um, friends, um, you know, I'm going to talk with the co-founders of this website and this and this organization. A lot of them either said, "Oh, that's fantastic," but the predominant amount of them said, "What is Church Clarity?" And so I want to get there in a minute because I think that's a huge question that matters. But Sarah, I'd like to start with you. Can you kind of break us through, you know, briefly who you are, how you came to do what you do, and kind of, you know, how how you became whatever it is that you're doing right now? Sure. I am a freelance writer by trade, and I do a lot of journalism and reporting. And that I came I came to contact with George uh, after I published an article on LGBTQ evangelicals in the church. And we, I think that was summer of 2017. And I had just come off an experience of interviewing uh, four queer gay folks about why they chose to leave or stay within their non-affirming churches. And so I wanted to just fact check whether it was true that these churches, you know, did not permit these people to, in one case, lead worship, in one case, take communion, in another case, like, be members. Um, and I just like send an email to pastor, like, can you just confirm this is true or not? Very straightforward, yes or no. And I was surprised to hear that none of them got back to me. The only one who did, uh, one out of four who did, got back to me on the condition that it was anonymous and in fact was shocked when and offended when I said, oh, actually, I'm going to use a church's name. And I was so, and it, it just became very clear to me that no matter how much I pressed him on yes or no, did this person, was he not allowed to join the worship team because he was gay? They wouldn't give me a clear answer. And so I was like, either you think this, my interviewee is lying to me, or there's something like deeply unhealthy with how you think that's just church leadership mm-hmm. operates. And so shortly after that, I met George and he said, you know, I want to do kind of a, um, Uh, almost like credit rating, credit score, better business bureau or charity navigator, whatnot, version for churches that kind of skips over the debate of, you know, should churches be affirming and affirming? And let's just focus on the problem that no one seems to be focused on, which is let's just get churches to start being clear Mm -hmm. about the policies first, and then we can have a conversation. Because if you're not clear, then the congregation does not know, and then there's no conversation. Um, Because they just operate on their assumptions based on maybe the branding of the church. So, you know, and then so right now I run kind of um, a variety of things for church clarity, but I'm predominantly responsible for the database of scoring of churches that are submitted to us. Um, We have a team of 100 volunteers that review their church websites and provide a score based on how clearly the church communicates their LGBTQ and women in leadership policies. 
So it's kind of a score of your website because the idea is we want to incentivize and kind of pressure churches a little bit to be clear on your websites because we believe, you know, in the 21st century, your website is your front door and Mm -hmm. people deserve to know before they step in the front door. Can I ask a clarifying question? So you were interviewing humans, not the church specifically, about these certain questions. And then anonymity would be, no, you're not going to tell anybody that this is Seth answering. But then you reached out to the church and he's like, no, 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 no. Don't reach out to the church because they'll know it's me. Is that what you mean by that? Or did I mishear that? No, yeah, I mean something different. So I talked to four people who are not anonymous, who are on the record about their experiences with their churches. I then reached out to the church pastors Mm. to confirm whether or not what their congregants said was true, uh, essentially whether they really had these policies. Um, and the one pastor got back to me, gave me this like really boilerplate response and was very angry at me and sort of accused me of being divisive, whatever. Mm-hmm. When he realized I was going to use the church's name in the article, I just wasn't going to say like church in New York city and, or church in Queens, that type of thing. Thank you for that clarification. Cause when I heard it, I was like, all right, so who's, who didn't want to be anonymous? I, I appreciate that clarification. George, how about you? What's kind of your story? Yeah. So first of all, thanks so much for having us. Um, I love the name of the show uh, <laughs> because it's inquisitive. <laughs> Can I say this at church? Something that we've always all definitely asked. Uh, I grew up in the church. Um, the other the other pronunciation of my last name is Mikhail, which is the Arabic uh, way of saying it. I was born in Cairo, Egypt, into the Coptic Orthodox Church. As a deacon uh, growing up until like, I, was, I was 11 or 12 when uh, me and my sisters after we had immigrated to America, wanted to sort of be around more of our, our friends and, and um, from school and things like that. And so started going to Young Life and more sort of hanging out in evangelical circles. Left left the Coptic church, arguing with my dad about, you know, the perpetual virginity of, of the Holy Virgin Mary and things like that. And so I've always been just really curious about the church and what holds it all together and the different uh, manifestations of it. And so that caused me to sort of um, jump around quite a bit, I would say. Started started pretty uh, standard evangelicals and got into pretty hardcore uh, Calvinism. Was at, was at Mark Driscoll's church for a little while. Mm. Um, then then bounced over to progressive, more progressive evangelicalism um, when the church that I started working for, uh, Eastlake Community Church in Seattle, uh, started going down this, this journey of, of becoming more, more open with our theology and inclusive and affirming of the LGBTQ community specifically. So it was that that specific experience and I would say the response of the church community and specifically other pastors that the idea for church clarity was uh, originally conceived. And what happened was after we went through this process of becoming uh, open and affirming and making this a very public Thing. We were in Time Magazine. We were one of the largest evangelical megachurches in the country at the time, it was 2015, um, to, to be this, I guess, public about the move that we were making. And so uh, we heard a lot of encouragement and a lot of like positive feedback from our, our peers in the church, in the different churches that we were associated with uh, initially. It was, hey, we're, we're cheering you on, great job, all this kind of stuff. And that was, that was great for, you know, a week or two. <laughs> and then this, the call stopped coming and people got quieter and, you know, the, the responses when you'd reach out were a lot slower. 
And the, the private praise and encouragement was never followed up with public supports or affirmation. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought this discrepancy was fascinating and I think revealed a lot. And so I started to, to get curious about the, the differences between what the pastors were saying uh, privately and how they were communicating to their churches and to the public and specifically to the people that they were inviting. Uh, this rhetoric around all are welcome, when in reality you're denying people you're denying denying people baptism, or you're um, not allowing people to volunteer in certain places. Right? This question of well, what's the limit of of somebody's welcome became really uh, really important. And so, as Sarah mentioned, I was in this mode where um, I had left East Lake uh, after a little while and moved to New York, took a job at uh, the Riverside Church. Is uh, director of Strategic Partnerships and Innovation. So I kind of completed my uh, circuit around the entire <laughs> church landscape now at a mainline progressive church. Uh, and it was it was there that, I, you know, Sarah and I and, and our third co-founder, uh, Tim Schrader, launched Church Clarity. And it was all kind of, for all of us, it was a side project, something that we were kind of just experimenting with and didn't expect it to explode into what it is two years later now um, where we have hundreds uh, or 130 something volunteers who um, volunteer for us you know from all around the world and uh, over 5,000 churches submitted to our website and basically um, you know I know you mentioned a lot of your, your listeners haven't heard of us which I think is good but as because as people hear about this we are sort of becoming this household name where uh, more and more people are, are starting to understand that, that clarity is reasonable and um, they use our website to find a church to attend based on uh, wanting to go somewhere that aligns with their values and isn't afraid to state their conviction. Sarah, I want to go back to something you said earlier. So sure. why do you think that churches don't want to actually say what they believe because i think most churches will say you know you go to their there there is a here's what we believe you know the bible is inspired this is that this is that services are held on sunday you know there's a huge doctrinal statement there uh specifically on women in ministry and especially on homosexuality why do you think churches won't plant a flag I'll give my take, but George in some ways can give a better answer because I've never been on the other side, whereas George has been. I think it's a couple of reasons for my conversations with pastors and folks. I think for some churches, um, their, they, their goal, particularly when it comes to LGBT issues, is to change people, uh, change their orientation, change their gender, like get people from A to B because that's what they think sanctification or redemption looks like. And so... I've had, actually my mom said this to me, if a church was clear, then how would people walk in the door and how could churches change them? So there's, for some churches, I think a very brute level of like, this is intentional, we're, we, need, we need to be a bit dishonest, but it's for the longer, it's for the best. And I don't think that strategy is that different from the typical bait and switch tactics of e evangelism, where, you know, we're just, we're going to host a movie night and halfway th a youth and pizza and music and for like young people. And then halfway through someone somehow talks about the gospel hmm. and it's like, well, I, did, I didn't sign up for a gospel talk. I signed up for a movie night. That's but, every Super you know, Bowl party ever. <laughs> yes. Yes. So in that sense, it's not that surprising. You could think about something that 
churches deeply believe they're right about, but are a bit embarrassed about it. Embarrassed, uh, no, you know, I've had another pastor say to me, I can't, he and he was pastoring a church in Chelsea, which is the historically gay neighborhood in Manhattan. He said, you know, I can't be clear about my uh, stance, our stance, because to do so would be equivalent to being registered on a sex offender list uh, on, on the internet. If people look us up and they see this, it's we're just going to be branded as bigots, as hateful. And I think pastors like Kim tend to be too preoccupied with look at my motivations. You know, I'm not a hateful person. I have gay friends. I don't want to be misconstrued uh, of who I am based on my policies. And you know, we are very deliberate in our language to never say hateful, to never say bigoted, because that would assign motivation, whereas mm-hmm. we're just trying to evaluate the impact of policy. Because you could be affirming in po- theology, actually, but still not affirming policy due to, like, maybe denominational disciplinary rules, as we see in, like, the ACC and UMC. But regardless, I think, of that, um, pastors like him and sometimes I would talk to, I think more preoccupied with how people think of them than the impact of the policies on others. So, um, and George, I think, has another answer that has to do with money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry, are you you asking me? Because I'm I'm ready to just say money. Do it, do it, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) I think secret sensitivity, I mean, I think this this whole idea, like Sarah said, I think it's failed. The, The Bill Hybels model of let's set up, you know, pizza night for Jesus, and um, get people in the door or this young life approach, uh, let's get all the cool kids. Um, I think what it's what has happened, what's transpired over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years is pretty clearly showing that it just has not worked. And um, like Sarah said, we are careful about assigning motivation. So I, uh, I don't want to say that everybody who is ambiguous is um, just in it for the money kind of a thing. But I, I do think that once a pastor is confronted with the ways in which their ambiguity about their policies has harmed a real person in their in their church, you know, like, hey, you confused this person, this person thought they heard this thing, and then this is what played out in your church under your care. I think uh, once that message is delivered, now you can no longer claim ignorance. You can no longer be like, well, I didn't know that people were getting hurt. Uh, and I think when that happens and there's still a refusal to deliver clarity, then I have no problem saying, okay, well then clearly you're just <laughs> mm-hmm. trying to protect your kingdom. You're trying to protect your, your pocketbook. You're trying to make sure that nobody knows the actual policies that you're enforcing, because if enough people knew they would stop coming here, they would stop tithing here. And that is obviously inconvenient for you. Um, and so there's there's two parts I think to to what we're what we're doing. The first one is awareness, and I think there is a recognition that not everybody is aware that ambiguity can be this harmful. There is sort of this innocence in evangelism that says, "No, I just want everybody to know the good news." You know, if I die and go to heaven, I want to make sure I <laughs> I told as many people as I could, or whatever it is. Um, and I think that's okay. And I think we do have we, uh, even in our system uh, ways in which that we uh, are are able to accommodate. The people that are in that position, but it's it's when the awareness has been brought that there are no more excuses, and I think that's that's the crux of of what we're trying to do is just say clarity is reasonable. All you got to do is disclose your policies. Nobody's asking you to change. No one's asking you to be something you're not. Mm-hmm. But you do have policies that you inform. What are they? 
I, I think, George, we should just quickly mention the actively discerning stuff because that can be confusing to people. That is actually my next question. So you have a couple you have a couple rankings. So you have uh, you have clear unaffirming, you have affirming, you also have something called verified, and you have actively discerning. Can yeah, either one of you break? And I might have missed one entirely um, as well. Sure. What are what are those like? If someone goes to the website and they're like, "All right, where's my church at?" So there are broadly two types of scores. One is a score that we give to the church website, which I mostly have covered. So we look at church, any church website statements, sermons, blog posts, social media things, to any clues of policy. But every church that we do score based on the website, we also email them a verified clear survey, which is about 10 questions that's just yes or no on hiring, weddings, and ordination by LGBTQ people. And for women leadership, it's preaching, teaching elders, you know, senior pastor, that type of thing. Um, and regardless of how they answer the questions, they will receive a verified clear score. So if you answer no to everything, verified clear. If you answer yes to everything, verified clear. If you don't answer the survey, then whatever score we gave you earlier will still stand. And I should mention in that survey, you can answer actively discerning, which means we're unsure. We want to be clear about the fact that we are in process. And for those churches, we require that they set a date of resolution for their discernment Hmm. within 12 months so that you're not just like perpetually discerning, which is, you know, a little bit of a cop out in our opinion, because if you're truly are discerning, you actually are looking for answers and not just being like, I'm open to the spirit, but here's my (laughs) stance right now. And when it comes to the non-verified clear scores, um, there is undisclosed, which is we cannot find any kind of conclusive evidence. There is unclear, which means the policy evidence was hard to find. We had to really like dig. And there's clear, which is actually was pretty easy to find. It was like in either the homepage or, you know, there's a clear trail to get me to your uh, policy or your denomination's policy. And right now we, we, we do distinguish, you know, if it's clear affirming and clear non-affirming, but the more important part is the clear unclear um, distinction. I want to shift gears to the women in leadership policies, because I feel like that often doesn't have a big microphone. And so I'm thankful that that is there or it will get a big microphone when somebody says something and then Twitter explodes for half a week and then everybody forgets about it again. Like Beth Moore a few weeks ago with, um, with MacArthur and I'm not going to rehash any of that. How, if you had to, are the two, um, and either one of you can take this question, do you feel like those two issues are of equal uh, urgency or does one kind of take a more urgent place over the other or does it vary based on church or community? Ooh, that's a good question. I think it's hard anytime you start ranking uh, urgency on, on matters. I think the reality is it's contextually urgent, <laughs> different levels of urgency for a lot of us, depending on sort of where we're coming from. Um, I would say that culturally, like at a, at a broad scale, there's certainly something to be said about the LGBTQ um, conversation being at the forefront of a lot of people's minds and a lot of, uh, you know, even even laws that, that we're, um, we're having battles about, the, the LGBTQ people's right to basic employment and basic human rights. And so I think because of that, because of the, the fact that it's sort of front and center, um, at, at a more societal level, that it's also front and center um, as far as the church is, is concerned. Uh, but I want to be careful not to say that. It's, therefore, it's more important than making sure that women have, women have clarity in terms of their the limits of their leadership in the church, or even um, other other issues that we don't um, currently score for. That I think 
still have a lot of relevance, but um, but again, it's just it's just tough to 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 put a number or a, a ranking on which one's more urgent or because then then it just sounds like you're talking about importance, you know? Yeah, yeah. I would just quickly add that we treat both scores a bit differently from a scoring methodology perspective. To get a clear egalitarian score, so that's how we distinguish egalitarian versus non-egalitarian, the clear versus unclear. To get a clear egalitarian score, you not only have to have uh, it, let me, let me phrase it this way, you have to have representation in addition to policy. Um, there are lots of churches that say, oh yeah, women, you're free to lead, but then still have predominantly uh, men in preaching positions, pastorship, elder boards, etc. So we actually go through this somewhat uh, arduous and a little subjective process of counting uh, and making sure it's a 50-50 ratio. And if not, you actually get an unclear score. Hmm. 50-50 ratio of staff or like of deacons or elders or how do because not every church, like I know my church doesn't really broadcast who they're, you know, who the deacons are or who anyone outside of staff is. Yeah. So we have a, what church do you go to? First Baptist in Waynesboro. Oh, sorry, what denomination? Virginia. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it is affiliated with both Cooperative Baptist and Baptist for Baptist Association of Virginia. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. And I'm curious, how do y'all's leadership governance structures work? Because, you know, in the Episcopal Church, you look for the vestry. In the uh, ELC, you look for the church council. Um, in Presbyterian Church, you look for the elders. Yeah, so we have a church council, um, which is comprised predominantly of the main uh, committees. So, you know, like stewardship, the treasurer, uh, the, the leader, uh, I'm sorry, the pastor, uh, you know, facilities, the the, the major business operator. And then outside of that, we have deacons that serve a, a specific term that are elected by the church. And then those rotate in and out. Yeah, I think for us, obviously, our preference would be to to take into account teams that have essentially like governance, um, decision-making power over the future of the church and the, you know, um, budget of the church, what have you. Um, because obviously it's, it's a bit, since if we cannot find any leadership team and it's just the pastor, you know, the two other staff people, mm-hmm. uh, what we usually do sometimes if it's, uh, you know, if it happens to be two women and staff, one man, it, you know, you get a clear Yaltan score. If, if, uh, if we cannot find a leadership team, we'll just give an unclear score. And we, we cite that the reason we give an unclear score is because we cannot find the leadership team. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think we're, we might, we're trying to raise a standard a little bit for church websites and say like more and more people when they go to church websites are looking at who's in leadership looking at uh, racial representation, look at gender representation. And so we are trying to raise a bar for churches to do that as well. What has been the biggest pushback? And this is open for either one of you. You know, you've been doing this for two years now. So what has been the biggest? All right. Well, I didn't expect people to yell at me about this. I thought this was pretty cut and dry. Mm, yeah, I, I would say that it is. There's a, there's a general misunderstanding. We're, we're, we're constantly having to reiterate the fact that when we're talking about clarity, that we're talking about policies. And uh, I think that it can get misconstrued that we are talking about beliefs or we're talking about um, somebody's 
position or, you know, whatever other language people use. And so people sort of can, can um, uh, get so excited about what they see and what we're creating, but then jump immediately to like, you need to be more clear on, on, on your stance. And they just kind of fumble through it. And we're, we're trying to uh, do as good of a job as we can communicating that we're talking about policy, 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 ask policy questions. Um, and, and so I think, I think once we are able to have conversations with people who, who don't understand that's what we're talking about, there's actually a, there's actually understanding that, uh, like, oh, that, that doesn't make sense. It's, uh, it's what I love about this mission is that people who are, who have conservative theology and people who have progressive theology can all agree that clarity is reasonable. If you have an opportunity to actually explain that nuance that, you know, we're just trying to get to the root of the fact that everybody does have a policy that they're enforcing and they should just dis- disclose it. So I would say that's probably the biggest one. What other options? And, and so this is based or predicated upon the most recent blog post that's out on the website um, for y'all there about a minister that basically had to leave his church because he had to take a position. I believe I'm, I don't think I'm miss saying that or oversimplifying it. Uh, and that is a common a very common theme. I had a, a chat message with someone that, that literally they may lose their licensure because of their stances, and then they may also lose uh, their ability to teach at whatever school that they teach at. Um, and so where do you see the church going? Because it, I think if it constantly stays, you know, you either agree with me or you're excommunicated from the faith. And I think if people have to expend energy creating something new, that the the church is just going to shrivel up and just die. So where do you see the options for ministers or for members even that need that either, you know, that maybe they go to an SBC church because that's the only church in town that they live, or they go to a denominational type church that they, they can't participate. They can't do the communion. They can't get married or they're a minister in the same boat. Like where, where does it need to be? Like where in, in five, six years do you think based upon you're constantly looking at these churches' websites, you're looking at their their statements, you're getting emails from people, I'm certain. Where do you see it needing to go? So you take a crack at this one? Hmm. Just to clarify your question, because I feel like you're asking a couple of questions. Probably asking, am. I, I tend to ramble. <laughs> that's okay. No, it's hard to do this. I've been on the other side uh, a few times. But the... You're asking for people who disagree with their church's policy of stance, and they, but maybe they don't have other options. What should they do? Mm-hmm. Or the inverse of that: of you know, I have gone to this church my entire life, and uh, we hire a new pastor. <laughs> that pastor has different views than we do, and for some reason, we didn't ask those questions in the interview process. What does the church do? So both from the I go to this church side and then the other part from the church is about to explode side. Like where does it need to be in the years to come? Um, I think, you know, from a church clarity perspective, we kind of, that's where, at least George, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we trust people to make the best decisions given the information that they have. Our job is to deliver as best as we understand it, information available already on church websites that we're just doing a bit more searching and centralization. But I know plenty of people who are like, oh, wow, I didn't know my church had the stance. Hey, but you know, I really still love the community. Mm-hmm. I am gay, but, and I feel really connected to the pastor here. So I'm going to just stay and be, you know, and hopefully talk to people and get people to change their minds. 
I know some people take that approach. Some people would be like, I'm, I'm leaving right away. Um, as for a church vetting of hiring of leadership, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, you missed that part of the conversation. George had asked me that prior. That's actually how I originally found my way to church clarity as we were looking uh, at, okay. I was on a search committee to find our new pastor and it was just oh, right, clicking right. around. I'm like, what's, what is this website? Uh, and then I went down the rabbit hole of literally Googling every church that are not Googling every typing in every church name that I knew, uh, and then submitting my own. Cause it's time to, it's time to be, I believe y'all are right that it is, it is reasonable <laughs> to not be ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you have like, I can't tell my mm-hmm. wife, I think I love you. I mean, I'm pretty sure that I might love you pretty. I'm fairly, I'm 98% certain that I'm almost certain, you know, George, where would you take that question? Yeah, no, I love the question. It's, it's really thought provoking. And I, and I think the nature of our work if, in a perfect world, if everything goes well, hopefully what we're doing is, is talking to the people that attend churches and um, inviting them to, embrace their own individual like free will and their own sovereignty and, and, and to activate their, um, <laughs> their intellect and their hearts and their minds a little bit more in terms of like, what am I even doing here? Why am I going to this church? What is this church about? Why am I giving my money here? Why am I volunteering my time here? Mm-hmm. And because the, the, the accountability can't be through this or, you know, solely through this organization, we can be a catalyst, but clarity very much is the first step and what is a long path to any sort of potential healing that the church can experience. And I think it starts with the people of the church uh, saying no more. We're not going to, we're not going to allow what was once a really sacred and holy tradition to be commodified in the way that it's become commodified and have it be all about, you know, what celebrity goes here or what kind of shoes you're, your pastor's wearing or whatever, like that's not, we have to get, we have to get real about like the fact that we're, we're allowing this collectively. We're allowing pastors and the the structures that that we've created to water down um, what was once something that required a lot of conviction Mm -hmm. and a lot of faith. Um, And so hopefully there's a return to that. There's a return to people um, embracing it for themselves, this idea that clarity is reasonable. And then, and then through that inquiry, um, uh, having there be accountability that, that doesn't, doesn't necessarily require this, you know, uh, this website to, to hold you accountable. And hopefully mm-hmm. the website can be more of a resource and a tool that can unify. And that's the other, I think that's the other part of this that I would personally love to see is, okay, what if there was a moratorium on arguing about theology for a second for like, let's just pause. Okay. I I understand the arguments on the other side. I've been on the other side of those arguments. Cool. I'm probably not going to convince you. And actually I'm I'm, I'm done trying. So let's just suspend that conversation. And instead, maybe we can find something that we all agree on, which isn't isn't to say let's validate each other's theology because in in some ways, both sides of of the theological debate see the other side as, perpetuating harm Mm -hmm. but let's just suspend that too for a second and let's focus on clarity like what if what if both sides of the theological spectrum agreed that clarity was reasonable well i think what would happen is we would root out a lot of this this ambiguity that exists in between the spectrum where uh it really has nothing to do with conviction uh in fact a lot of a lot of the worst offenders uh of, of ambiguity are these 
large hipster evangelical megachurch hillsongy type places that um, don't stand for anything. They, they don't. It's not. It's not even that like they've fleshed out their theology and they believe it so intensely that they're you know they just don't want to talk about it because it's resolved. It's they don't even know why they don't believe it or what why their policies are what they are. And mm-hmm. so uh, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any room for that frankly, in, in, in the church world. So I, I think there is an opportunity for some some quote-unquote unity even among churches that disagree theologically. I want to pivot. And for those listening, I will say pause right now and just go to churchclarity.org and just see where your church is. Um, but from what I understand, there's a backlog. So just know if you submit somebody, it may be some time before it's there. But I have a question about your website. And so um, I had asked a friend, you know, hey, what would you ask you know, the founders of this organization? And he had said, you know, a database of, of, of information is fine, but how are we helping to point people to community? Because people need to be, is there any portion of your website or as you're going into rebranding that you're like, yeah, you know what, now that we know that there's this many people in Dallas or this many people in Charlottesville, this many people in, it does pick the city, it doesn't really matter. Is there any plans possibly to point people towards community as opposed to just having the data as like a, a white page listing of churches um, or no? Because I'm sure that that is a massive undertaking to figure out how to point things in specific directions. Yeah, absolutely. There, this, is a, this is a really exciting part of this next iteration is, is our emphasis on verified clear churches, which is our highest and best score. Verified clear indicates that a church has completed a, cert, a policy survey and submitted it to our team. It's about 500 or so verified clear churches now out of the 5,000 or so that have been submitted. And so with that group of churches, that's exactly what we're hoping to do is um, encourage a, encourage people to go to these churches that, are, that aren't afraid of, of um, disclosing their policies and do demonstrate uh, conviction. And then from there, um, looking for ways to maybe even connect those churches to each other and, mm. and building an association of churches. And, 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 and a, um, so we have this opportunity for verified clear churches to become members of what we do. Um, and so once you get scored verified clear, you can pay a small uh, a small fee to become a verified clear member church, and what that does is it gives you more visibility uh, to our audience. And um, basically, that's that's the only way we make money. So nobody nobody works for Church Clarity. <laughs> um, we are doing we're all volunteers, myself and Sarah included. Now, hopefully, that's not always the case. I mean, we've been at this for, for two years, and we do hope that we can create some sustainability because this is something that that we believe in, and there's a, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done and practical realities of us needing to pay bills and that kind of stuff. But uh, Verify Clear members is the vehicle that we see as sort of the long term, what we want to build this this whole vision on. We want uh, Verify Clear churches to sort of lead with this this message of, yeah, we're Verify Clear. And what's been really cool is that's naturally happening. As we score churches Verify Clear, there's like they celebrate. They're like, hey, we just got scored Verify Clear by Church Clarity. We've seen we've seen churches like make videos like celebrating this moment or, or putting our, you know, their verified clear badge on their website and, and being proud of the fact that like, yo, we're, we're not afraid to tell you here's, here's where we're at. And so um, as we get our systems in place more and, and get through these technical challenges and this backlog that we have, that's something that we're really excited to, to lean into more. To clarify on verified clear, that doesn't necessarily mean affirming or unaffirming. It can mean both, correct? It just as long as they're clear. 
That is correct. And that is another highly misunderstood part. So once we go from scoring a church based on our me- the methodology that Sarah described and sort of using the information that we have or that's, that's publicly available, and we give them unclear, not affirming or clear affirming or whatever, if they then become verified clear, we actually drop those other labels hmm. of unaffirming or, or affirming, and they just become verified clear with a list of their answers to the policy question. The reason I asked that question um, and, and why I'm asking the next one is I went to the website, I'm on it now, and I could not find a place to say, you know what, I support this, let me give you $20. So my question was, how do you make money? But then there's also a banner at the top there that says, we grew too fast and we need to scale up, help us reboot the website. What does that actually, like, what are you doing? What are you rebooting? What's it going to look like? What's kind of your timeline? What are the goals there? I feel like I've been talking a lot lately, but Sarah, you want me to take this one too? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'll follow that was in last, last few questions. <laughs> so yes, uh, we just launched an Indiegogo campaign trying to raise 50 grand, um, basically to have a, the ability to invest in development of our site. So two years ago when we launched, Kim Schrader, who's a marketing genius, bless his heart, We've created this on a WordPress blog with about, uh, I think, 25 churches. And uh, overnight, just... Oh, I'm sorry. Squarespace blog. Thank you. <laughs> um, but over, overnight, we outgrew that. This is based on the response. And so we had to rebuild the website really quickly in two days on a different platform. And we've sort of been bootstrapping, like patchworking. Like it's the, it's like the most bandaged backend system you've ever seen but it works and it's actually quite brilliant when you designed it the team's done an incredible job of making do with what we have but we've now hit another milestone where we're pushing up against limits of the the website providers that we have and blah 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 all this technical stuff that's happening point is we want to make our search better you know we want to be able to offer more features and more tools and resources especially for our verified clear churches and especially for people who come to the website looking for a church we just want to make the experience overall better. And we feel like we have, you know, proof of concept in terms of what, what we're creating and there's definitely d- demand for it. But we've just been really intentional about money from the very beginning, not wanting to create something that was super like dependent on donations all the time. We were always constantly having to do these campaigns and whatnot. And so it was kind of a big deal for us to step out and, and say, okay, we're ready to, we're pretty confident in what we're building now. So we're ready to ask people for money uh, who, who support this. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the spirit behind the campaign itself. We're, we're trying to build additional capacity so that we can continue to grow, get through this, um, this backlog that we have and ultimately score every church in America, every Protestant church in America. That's, that's the goal. And we are scoring globally too, but we're just trying to keep our, our goals focused on what we feel like is attainable. So where do they go to push the button to say, yeah, sign me up. I'm happy to support. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks so much again for, for uh, allowing us to plug that. It's uh, just go to churchclarity.org. You'll see the, the banner at the top. It'll take you to the Indiegogo campaign. I'd say that's, that's probably the easiest. Perfect. The, the link is in our profile, uh, Instagram as well. So whatever's easiest, any, any amount helps. We're also whatever, one of the perks that we're offering if you do have a church that's caught up in the in the backlog, we we have released a limited number of what we're calling fast passes. Hmm. That'll get you to the front of the line, get your church published. So it works for Disney, yeah. so why not? It does exactly. <laughs> Sarah, how can so Sarah, you have a big job with the database and the methodology. Like, how do people like 
how is there any way that people can help you? Because I think the more data points in the matrix, the better for something of this nature, because that's just how algorithms work. So is there any way that as people, like if they can't volunteer money, is there any other way to help partner with, with Church Clarity to go, I can help and here's how? Or, or is, there, is, is there no, is there any way there? Yes, we have, I think I mentioned briefly about 150 plus volunteers, mm-hmm. uh, lots across the United States, but also across the world. And we give you, um, a tr- we train you in our methodology. Um, and all you kind of need is internet connection, a laptop, a desktop, and a few hours of free time every week or every other week. And at this point, uh, someone named Stephanie actually is the main point person. I oversee some everything on the high level, but we have like multiple teams. If you want to go to our website, you can go to churchclear.com and then on the menu bar, um, look for become verified clear. I realize we don't really have really clear call actions on our websites, George, but <laughs> technically that is the form by which you become, sign up to be verified clear as an individual, which then gives you the option to join us as a volunteer. So the only requirement we have a volunteer is not whether you are affirming or not affirming, but whether you are willing to be clear by your own policy positions. So that's one way to help. And we have a variety of tasks from like really basic data entry for people who like like cleanness and efficiency and organization. And it's like relaxing to people who have a more of an investigative itch and want to troll through sermon archives and stuff like that. Well, thank you for that. I had given you a time commitment and we're coming up on that. But I wanted to say thank you both for making this website. I do know what it's like to have to run all the back end stuff, although I have no idea what it is to break Squarespace or Word or WordPress. I'm not there. Um, and hopefully I never am because it sounds like it's a big hassle. But thank you so much for doing what you're doing. I, I genuinely think, um, and I know, you know, I fully expect in the next year or so this will come up in my local church because we are not scored as affirming because I'm pretty sure we are ambiguous, but I do know we also have 10, 15 uh, gay, gay people, gay couples, gay married couples, gay youth. And that matters, you know, that it just, it matters, you know, that someone could be raised in a church and then when they turn 17 and they want to do something and say something, and then they don't have a fellowship. It matters. It matters. It matters so, so much. So I do want to thank you both for making what you've made. I know it, it takes a lot to do that, but I think it's, it's needed. So any final words from either one of you, if not, I will let you go. No, this has been great. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much for the work that you're doing and for inviting us on. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate you as well. Grace will lead me home. Grace will lead me home through every child. should not have ambiguity when we're talking about people and our beliefs. We have no issue with saying what we believe the Bible is, with who we believe Jesus was, what we think about the Trinity, what we believe about hell. And if we're honest, we have no ambiguity when we think about what our politics are, who we do and don't support. But to not talk about a conversation and a topic as big as what we just talked about is damaging to every person in the room, regardless of their belief. I'm so thankful for things like Church Clarity and the vision that they have. And I'm really hopeful that after they redo this website 
and they can rebrand that some of those communities can begin to get built and be fostered. Some of those communities can begin to be fostered for people that need a home that have been ostracized on either side of the debate, that they can begin to help point people in those directions because it's just too hard to find the answers because churches just aren't willing to be upfront about the answers. I cannot wait for next week. It's December. Got some great guests lined up for December. And um, man, it's going to be fun. I'll talk with you next week. Be good, everybody. When I've been